Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EVMC podcast. Join us for this all-access pass backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live event industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to incredible guests who journey with us as we dive deep into the world of venues, tours, festivals, and everything in between. Grab your laminate and meet us in Venue Land. So what's it like when your venue is on everyone else's bucket list? Well, we're going to find out. Today's adventure takes us to the future home of EVMC 2024. Talking about Denver, Colorado. And we're going to check in today with the Chief Marketing and Business Development Officer for Red Rocks Amphitheater and the Denver Performing Arts Complex. Please join us. Say hello to Brian Kitts. Brian, great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to talk to you guys. We are are so excited to be coming your way, but let's answer answer that question first. What's it like to be the venue that every marketer, everybody who works in venues, uh, <laughs> you're on everybody's bucket list? What is it? What is that like? It's not horrible, I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> you, you know, I think that uh, any of us who are, you know, first off, I think all of us are lucky to be in this business because everybody thinks that this is fun. Um, as a marketing guy, you know, marketing Red Rocks is not particularly hard. Um, and on some days, I think I've got the easiest job in the world. You know, on other days, I think that the spotlight that comes with big venues or cool venues can be a little bit more glaring than, than uh, you know, some traditional venues. And so, you know, there are ups and downs with any job. I remember the yeah. early days of, of MTV, because uh, I'm that old, right? So the early 80s, when they're showing a lot of music videos, and you know there'd be live clips they'd play, but one of the videos that was always in rotation was U2, live at Red Rocks. And it was uh, a, a live video that was shot during a daytime concert, or at least the, the sun hadn't gone down yet. And I just remember looking at this venue and thinking, you know, what kind of place is this that's that's hosting concerts? And and I want to go there someday. Still haven't been, but guess what? Uh, obviously, as EVMC heads your way, uh, I'm excited. What was, what was your first exposure to Red Rocks? You know, it was probably that video, like lots of other people. You know, I went to school here in Denver, and I'll be honest, I think I sort of took Red Rocks for granted when I was here. Uh, because it's a place you would go and hike and, you know, go to a show. But, you know, I think that, you know, as you go to other venues and you, you know, get to do other stuff, Red Rocks sort of, you know, became very special. And, you know, I, I've said this before, what I love about being at Red Rocks is that, you know, it's 80, 80 plus years old as a venue, but 300 million years old you know, as a space. Right. And I think that that comes with special scenery. It comes with special stories. And, you know, there just aren't many venues that have that you could talk about 80, you know, 80 plus years of of music and pop culture history. And I'm a nerd about that stuff. And I and I just I love that about the venue. Do you remember any uh, shows you went to there when you were, you know, growing up in Denver? Any memorable ones like or maybe your first show that you attended? So I didn't grow up here. I didn't, my exposure started when I was in college. And unlike some people, I remember every single one of them. 
And by now there have been hundreds of those shows, especially working. And, you know, you know, I'm going to date myself, but you know, whether you're talking about cracker and the gin blossoms and spin (laughs) doctors, that's one that I remember from being in college. And then, you know, last night is the first night that I'd ever seen Tyler Childers and the full moon. Yeah. And the full moon was coming up and little breeze and it's, you know, it's a magical place. And, you know, there's not a single night that I've been there that I haven't thought this is, this is pretty cool. And that's as a fan, not as a marketing guy. You know, we're going to talk about some of your other venues as well. I want to make sure, you know, we're not just hyper-focused on on Red Rocks, but but (laughs) for that person, for that person who's never been, uh, let's talk a little bit about what, what the venue is, where it's located, and and you know what, like you, you have a season. Give us the 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 one hundred and one uh, on Red Rocks. Stuck between two giant sandstone monoliths, about twenty minutes outside of Denver, so it's accessible mostly. It is in the foothills, and so chances are you're going to have to hike up to the venue or hike out of the venue. There are no escalators or elevators, and so it still feels really rustic. It's a national historic landmark. It was built uh, to get people out of the depression as a works project administration uh, program. And so that's, you know, the history goes back that far. Uh, Opened in 1941 with just five or six shows. This year we'll do 200 shows. Wow. Um, Oh, my God. we do Saturday, you know, in addition to the concerts, we'll do Saturday morning yoga and uh, snow shape, which is a program to get in shape for the ski season. And then it's open to the public at all other times. Uh, it is a government owned facility by this. It's owned by the city and county of Denver. And so it's, you know, it's a park. Uh, it's a park at times when it's not functioning as a venue. So it's, it's pretty, um, you're as likely to see skunks and rattlesnakes and owls as you are humans. <laughs> and, you know, that's part of the fun too. Weather is yeah. generally predictable, but it's Colorado weather. And that means that there's going to be, you know, this year, our opening night was canceled because of a wildfire and hurricane force winds. Um, we had a little incident with hail earlier in the year. Made a little so, news there, yeah. Yeah, Sophie Tucker was on stage when it was blizzarding, and then Billy Strings did two nights of, you know, in torrential downpours. But you know, nine thousand fans show up every night, so it's got to be a interesting thing for whoever is doing booking, where you do have it on this, you know, bucket list for so many bands wanting to play it. You have bands that are you know, underplaying to try to do it. You know, they might be playing way bigger venues elsewhere and they're sure. like, we're going to hit Red Rocks. And so right. is there this challenge where, you know, maybe the demand is so high that I'm sure that booking person's having to kind of fill all the holes and do what they can, but then sometimes it just doesn't work and it's like, we'll catch you on the next season. We're an open venue. And so we've got a, a unique process. And for people who like booking stuff, we open the you know the following year's season in April or May, and it's literally a first come first serve. And so Live Nation and AEG and others you know sort of rush to get their emails in you know with a date request and who's going to play on that date. And so we already know for 2024 who's going to be there every night. 
yes, you're right about the underplay. You know, I'm going to, you know, point to Tyler Childers again, you know, last night and tonight, he's going to do two nights at Red Rocks, but then go down 10 miles away and play Fiddler's Green, which is 18,000 people. So there are people who will take Red Rocks because it's the pretty venue and the mid-size venue and then go do something else. And, you know, that hurts sometimes when we lose shows to Ball Arena or Fiddler's Green, but, you know, we still end up with, with plenty of business. So you kind of, what's the season? Like, when does it start? When, what window is there? Are there 200 shows in? It's whenever we think people are going to show up uh, April 1st. Uh, the first year that I worked at Red Rocks, um, it was basically Memorial Day to Labor Day and 75 shows. Um, that is now moved from April 1st to the middle of November and 200 shows. Wow. So, Jeez. you know, the reality is, you know, that if you're going to book there or play there, that there's every chance that you're going to get snowed on in April and May and October and November. But there's also a chance you won't. So and sometimes those moments can be kind of, you know, depending on how annoying or hazardous can be kind of more memorable, you know, to your point, you know, got Billy strings shredding out in the middle of the rain and the people probably, you know, they could have flown in from all over the country to go. Sure. I, think I knew people from Kentucky that went out to that show and yeah, it sucks because it's in the rain, but now it's like an even more memorable experience because you're now out in this elements in the rain, listening to one of your favorite artists in one of the most iconic venues. I mean, so I think that's, you know, it's not like you're going to some, uh, rinky dink shed down you know down the road and you're like oh god it's raining outside now you're like it's raining and it's in red rocks <laughs> right that and, you know that's fair that's part of the story i think it's not necessarily yeah. part of the charm you know if you're cold and wet but you know everybody you know makes it through and that does become part of the story and you know to your point about the u2 video that wouldn't have necessarily happened if you know they came so close to canceling that particular show and u2 said look we're here it's hard to get here. Let's go ahead and do it. And sort of the mist and the rain and everything is what made that magical. And, you know, Zach Bryan did a show in the snow last November and it was spectacular. We've got awesome pictures of Florence and the machine out there. You know, she's barefoot dancing and twirling around with his giant coat on while the snow was falling. So it's wild. You That's know, great. it's, uh, I'm not going to lie. It's better to have a night like tonight or last night where you've got a clear night and a full moon and it's, you know, 70 degrees, but right. especially from the op side. <laughs> yeah. 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 So beyond Red Rocks, you are, uh, a, you know, obviously a big piece of the Denver performing arts complex. Talk to us about, about your other venues. Yeah. So the city had the foresight. There, there are obviously other cities who have venues, but the city has, a bunch of venues that that my group owns and operates. And so that is Red Rocks. It's the Denver Coliseum, which is one of those 75-year-old, 8,000-person sheds. It still has wooden seats and lots of dirt shows. Um, the Colorado Convention Center, which is exactly what it sounds like what it is, the Dem and the Denver Performing Arts Complex, uh, which is Broadway, ballet, symphony, and opera along with, you know, some multi-purpose shows. Um, so lots of venues. I think the interesting thing is the city portfolio will have more seats available than all of the sports venues in town combined. 
And I think that's something that fans and, you know, residents don't necessarily understand um, because it's nerdy government stuff. But, you know, I get the the luxury of, you know, getting to to work with those demographics and, you know, I oversee all of our ticketing, all of our sponsorships and all of our communications. And so each of them, it's fun for me because each of them has, you know, a little bit different product offering, which means different sponsors and different ticketing and different, uh, you know, different audiences. And I think of really Denver as obviously all the venues you mentioned that you oversee, but even the arena, the stadium, so many theaters, there's so many theaters there that it's like when I'm trying to think of really big, just live event markets in the States, I think of I mean, maybe it's my own (laughs) view of it, but I think of Denver as like one of those almost like top five markets where you've just got all these iconic and just so many different levels too. You know, there's clubs and stuff. So when, I mean, like we've talked to people in Minneapolis, which I think is kind of comparable in that they also have a ton of theaters and stadiums and stuff. And so I think it is this really cool opportunity for, you know, growth for bands and people to play there, you know, they can come in and play a club and they can work their way up to that Red Rock show. Um, and so I think, I don't know, it's, it's really a great city for live entertainment. Yeah, it is. And it's a great city for live entertainment. It's a, you know, I came from the sports side, it's a great sports town. Um, but, you know, I think, Denver's nice because it's in the middle of the country. So if you're on your way to from Albuquerque to Salt Lake or from the Midwest to the West Coast, we're on your way. And, you know, that means that we do get, you know, lots of little clubs. And then Red Rocks is that midsize venue. And there are a couple of 18,000 seat venues. But, you know, Taylor Swift and Madonna can still, you know, swing through and, you know, play, you know, big multi-night, you know, dates as well. So it's, it's a great market. It's a young market. And I think, you know, that means that there's lots of money and lots of willingness to get out and get around. We compete in weird ways with things that other people or other markets don't, you know, our prime competitor for that discretionary dollar is the outdoor industry, the ski industry, you know, $200 a pop to ski for a day is, you know, more than a night out at Red Rocks, but that's our competition. And so I think we're always sort of keeping an eye on that too. So when you've got that many, you've got all the, you know, all the venues, uh, all the shows happening, how do you decide what events you're at and what events you're not at? How many, how many uh, of these events are you attending to uh, make sure you're there and things get handled the way that you want? You know, I think it's like any other marketer, you pick and choose the ones that you think you're going to have clients at. But, you know, I think we're also in a really, you know, this is a great business and I think we're all fortunate to be in it. I can go to a show at Red Rocks, uh, somebody that I'm not sure I want to see and either stay for the show or bail after the third song. And I haven't lost anything by, by doing that. And, you know, you get some really pleasant surprises that way. You know, Dolly Parton, not you know, you think, well, I don't know that I'm ever going to get to see her again. And this was, I think the year before COVID and same with Diana Ross, where it's like, you know, these could be really cool shows and, you know, I'll go and stay for three songs and you end up just being blown away by, you know, some of those legacy acts, especially. And it's like, Oh, damn, I was lucky. I got to see that. So yeah. Sometimes three songs is an eternity. 
But other times you're pleasantly surprised and you're like, absolutely. Oh, I'm going to stick around and watch this. I'm going to actually stick around and watch some of this. This is great. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, always, it's always an experience. And I always like, oh, I see what other people really like about this. So it's, yes. it's such a, uh, a great bonus of our jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, we let's talk a little bit about uh, how we're heading out with with EVMC, formerly EAMC, uh, out your way. And of course, our last time out there, Paul, you were saying it was what, 2006? 2005? 2005. Yeah, 2005. So I know, Brian, you were, you've been a big part of behind the scenes back from even those days with uh, EAMC. Uh, Tell us a little about your experience working uh, uh, with the group. Uh, 2000, so when I got the call about, you know, would you be interested in having uh, EVMC back in Denver? It's like, well, yes. And I've done this before. And then you forget that it was like 12,000 years ago uh, when I was a baby. <laughs> you know, I think it speaks to the the cool longevity of our group, the need for us to sort of have that communal marketing talk. Um, you know, some of the sponsors that were there in 2005 are still around you know, now. And so I think that makes it really fun. I think Denver's a fun town, you know, for all the reasons we just talked about. And, you know, I'm always proud to, you know, to be associated with the group. And, and, you know, it's honestly, you know, I had, you know, Michelle from MSG was here uh, last week for the sting shows. And, you know, one of the biggest thrills for me is getting to, you know, to invite my EVMC friends to, you know, say hello when they're coming to Red Rocks. And, you know, I think we're all, it doesn't have to be Red Rocks. I think what that's part of what we do, you know, taking friends sure. and family. Yeah, so sure. this is inviting some of those, you know, some of those old timers back to Denver, but, you know, <laughs> I think for a lot of people, it's going to be a first look at Red Rocks and a first look at our city. When we talk about Denver and we we've have a, a fair amount, but you know, for people that may have come back in 2005 to now, what do you think have been some of like the biggest changes in the city uh, aside from the cost of living? Because I know <laughs> that is I have a sister in Denver. I hear about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, exponential growth. Um, yeah. You know, I think that at some point, you know, especially younger, younger residents realize that, you know, the outdoor industry was a really great, you know, Denver is just ideal for, for young people. And I think that, you know, as oil started to wane as, you know, part of the, the areas industry tech moved in and then the outdoor industry and then cannabis. And so I think we've had sort of this exponential growth in different industries um, that have made it really, really, uh, growing city. And along with that, you know, it became a good restaurant town and a great sports town and a great entertainment town. You mentioned cannabis. So let's talk about that. It's something, you know, that we hear about a lot uh, all across the country is how, you know, that uh, has changed Denver a little bit, but how has it impacted what you do at the venues? I'm not going to lie. It was difficult at first. Um, I will be completely transparent in being um, an advocate for the industry. I don't think that it should be treated any differently than liquor. You know, it's taxed the same way. It is regulated the same way at the state level. And I think that, you know, from a federal level, it's important to do that. I think we've still got a weird um, set of rules that apply to tobacco. You know, a tobacco smoker would never think to light up in the middle of Red Rocks 
pot smokers do. And I think we need to start treating everybody sort of the same, um, right. you know, as, as a recreational industry, you know, Colorado was the first to, to, you know, to get into this. And the first night that it was legal when we had a show at Red Rocks was interesting because uh, <laughs> traditionally one of our first shows of the year is the Easter sunrise service. The first performance coincided with that Easter sunrise service. So we had a little bit of God in the morning and then Snoop Dogg that night. <laughs> and <laughs> You can imagine um, what that was like because we, you know, as you know, that April date opened up the New York Times and, you know, every major media outlet wanted to know what it was going to be like when Colorado finally legalized uh, recreational use. And, you know, fortunately, other states have done that. And so it's taken some of the, the tourism pressure off. Um, but you know, it's a, it's a major industry and I think we should treat it that way, including how we do, you know, regulation in venues. And, you know, my dream as a, as a marketing and sponsorship guy is to have our own strain of weed, the way that we have our own special beer that's Red Rocks branded. So. There you go. I have that. So you're the first one to have that idea here on the, on the podcast. <laughs> it really <laughs> is interesting to kind of visit some of these other markets. Like I do remember going to Toronto where it's legal and, you know, at their amphitheater there, they've got vendors just like you would have yeah, Budweiser right. set up. Yeah, I that. You have different vendors there that are handing out promo items. And yeah. it, it's, it is fascinating just because there isn't uh, this sort of universality across across the states that sometimes market to market, there are these uh, really interesting, you know, uses of sponsorship, you know, when it comes to something like that. Right. And, you know, we've had sponsors when we do walkthroughs at the venue who say, we can't believe that this is happening here because, you know, they're from Southern states and, you know, they say we can, we still consider this the devil's weed, you know, where we're from. It's like, yeah, I get that. But welcome to Colorado. So, <laughs> well, you you know, kind of taking things back a little bit. You said you weren't from Denver originally. So, so where are you from before Denver? Yeah, I grew up in New Mexico, and you know my my parents had horses and cattle and llamas and stuff like that. And then came to school at the University of Denver. Uh, went to work for Walt Disney Pictures and 20th Century Fox right out of grad school. And that was sort of my entrance into uh, the entertainment industry. I hated LA and, you know, <laughs> that will be a disappointment for lots of our, you know, EVMC friends, but ended but up wasn't back. For you. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't for me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I loved the work, but didn't like, you know, didn't like traffic and, you know, all that stuff, but ended up back yeah. in Denver and, you know, just sort of randomly ended up with the sports teams at a time when, uh, Stan Kroenke was getting ready to buy them and sort of transform the face of sports in Denver. And, you know, I think that's a fascinating, you know, from somebody who likes the business side of our industry, not just the marketing side, it was fun because, you know, Stan bought an arena football league team and an indoor lacrosse team and, um, a major league soccer team and built a stadium and bought venues downtown and, built a sports network. And I got to be on, on the, you know, the front line of all of that. 
and then, you know, got recruited to the Red Rocks position. So I've never done anything really besides sports and entertainment marketing and am not qualified to do anything else at this point, <laughs> which is fine. But know, now, now like this it. is kind of cool though. Am I, am I right that you were actually uh, spent a, a good number of years and, and maybe still do as a professor at the University of Denver? I do. Um, I started there. A woman who had been teaching the course had been coming to at the time was Pepsi Center is now ballerina. And I'd been giving her class tours and she goes, you know, you'd be better at teaching this class than I would. Are you interested? And it is I, I generally love my job, but I love the teaching aspect more. I will always learn more from the kids in my class than I will learn at any conference or any, you know, convention that I will go to. And it's, you know, they can be annoying because they're college kids. Um, but, <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it, it's the most, the most fun that I have. What are you, what are you teaching? I teach sports and entertainment marketing. So again, I'm not qualified to do anything else. They've asked if I would, you know, consider the intro class. It's no, 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 no. (laughs) It seems like it's a nice advantage too, to where, you know, if you're doing marketing, you now have all these kids and they can kind of keep you, keep you up to date with whatever the latest trends are. You can run things past them. Like, what do you think about this? And they'll be like, uh, Professor Kitts, that is so yes. last week. Like, what are you yes. doing? You were embarrassing yourself. <laughs> well, it's true. And I remember there was a point at, you know, at some point early in the quarter where I asked, you know, what was the last song you downloaded? And there were just crickets. And just in the, the like year since probably the last time I'd asked that question, nobody was downloading anymore and streaming had totally kicked in. And mm. You know, I think if you're not dealing with that segment of the industry on a daily basis, you don't know that. Right. right. It's a it's a real I won't say it's a rude awakening, but it's a jolt when you when and somebody says we haven't downloaded anything in a long time. Is there something I mean, it's I think it is one of the things we kind of picked up interviewing various people on this podcast is of course everyone has their own unique story and some people find their way into the industry and you know they've been in it for two years and other people have been in it and that's all they know and they love it but i think you being in it for as long as you have and kind of being in entertainment might give you some unique perspective when it comes to you know like if you're looking back at like the beginning of your career and where you are now it is more of a linear trajectory than I think some people have. And do you ever mm-hmm. think back? Is there like advice that you think you would give, you know, baby Brian, uh, you know, as he's <laughs> sitting college, or maybe it's when you move back to Denver and you get that sports job and now you are where you are, you know, you know, is, are there things you kind of look back on and kind of wish you ever did differently or things that you maybe would have uh, changed or something pitfalls you would have avoided? The Colorado Avalanche were in the Stanley Cup. I had a weird superstition where I would have to have a Carl's Jr. before every single game. (laughs) (laughs) And I would not. That's my kind of superstition. (laughs) Well, it's fun until you realize you put on like 30 pounds during the playoffs and it's easier to put on than it is to get off. So sports superstitions are stupid, no matter how, (laughs) you know, how many we do. Um, 
you know, I guess advice is I would have paid much more attention to audiences as opposed to the product. And I think mm. there's a real difference there. You know, you are providing a fan experience and I get really geeky talking about the fan experience and, you know, it's how you buy a ticket, you know, did your ticketing system break down? And then when you get to the venue, are your bathrooms clean? You, you know, somebody blowing weed smoke in your face. You know, I see all the complaints that come into our venues and I think thinking about what those experiences are like, once you make a decision to shell out, you know, X number of dollars for the ticket, I would pay more attention to the way that you make people feel. You know, I think we all learned this during COVID that I think we take for granted that we, you know, people are always going to be able to get together and it's just not true. And I think, you know, I got furloughed during COVID like lots of people. And so I will never take for granted the ability to get together again. And if somebody's going to give me 50 bucks to see a show, I want you to feel great when you leave. And I would, right. so, you know, baby Brian would have paid much more attention to what happens when fans are in the seats as opposed to, oh, look, we're going to have, you know, so-and-so on stage. That's cool, but they're going to do their job. I have to do my job in a completely different way. I love that. I, well, and I think so often those other ancillary things for the audience can really make or break a show, you know, like sure. you'll have people that they saw their favorite artists and it's a sold out crowd and yay. And everyone's happy and the promoter's happy. And then you do get that angry email and someone had this awful experience where they were waiting in line here too long or whatever. And right. so it it's not often you hear from them and say, well, you know, their their bass or their treble was too loud. You know, it's like, or she didn't hear this. She didn't play this song that I wanted her to play, you know? Right. Instead, you hear about that. So I, I love that perspective. I mean, it really should be about, you know, the the audience experience and kind of putting yourself in their shoes almost more than really everything else. It kind of will take care of itself. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, for any marketer, I think it's easy to, you know, use your past to get in the building and, you know, not have to go through those normal processes. But, you know, I still think it's important for people, you know, in our position to buy a ticket, walk in through the same doors that your fans have to walk in, go through that scanning and that security process. And, you know, did it feel okay? Did it take too long? And then, you know, go and buy a, you know, that snack. And I'm okay paying $14 for a beer at Red Rocks because that's part of the experience. But was the beer hot? You know, stuff like that matters. Right. And so, yeah, it really does. You know, and the, then again, I, you know, my biggest frustration is always with our guest services staff. You know, did they mouth off to somebody or are they as helpful as they could have been? You know, stuff like that. And I don't think you know that in the industry until it's too late. Right. One of the other cool things that you're involved with uh, is, is you can play. And uh, would you talk a little bit about what that is? Yeah, sure. I am a co-founder of the you can play project. And uh, the, the project started because this is, you know, on the sports side, there were three of us who have family or who were part of the community ourselves who, didn't like the way that sports were treating LGBTQ people. And so you can play works to develop allies, you know, specifically athletes and coaches 
to say that they would be accepting of LGBTQ people in their sport and started out just as a, you know, we thought we would make one video with uh, some, you know, NHL all-stars and, you know, 12 years later, it's become an important voice, I think, in diversity and inclusion uh, for LGBTQ people, uh, athletes, fans, and, you know, allies who, you know, who want gay athletes to play. And you've been doing this for what, about 12, uh, a little over 12 years now. Yep. Not something I ever thought that I would do. And, um, you know, my younger brother would have probably been a great soccer player, but, you know, didn't, you know, was a gay kid and walked away from the sport. And I think that we all recognize that there are a lot of athletes who walked away from their sport because of, you know, unintentional discrimination. Um, sure. And so I think that's one of the things that we work to curb. I love how you're not, you're looking at not just, you know, the team and the, the, you know, the fan behavior, but also, you know, what happens in the locker room. And I just think it's some, some great stuff you're doing there. Thanks. You know, it's one of those things where I think that if you're going to do this type of work, we got tired of waiting for gay athletes to come out. And I wouldn't come out if I were a gay athlete, knowing what the media attention is going to be sure. like. But I think that early on, you know, the voices were important because here you've got pro athletes who are willing to say, yep, you know, if you can play, you can play. It doesn't matter if you're straight or, you know, gay or, you know, what your ethnicity or religion is, because, you know, those those discriminations are still in place as well. So, you know, it's been fun. I got to I'm the first guy that's ever talked to the United Nations about uh, LGBTQ issues in sports, you know, much to my mom's amazement. Um, you know, I never thought that you would basically amount to that. She didn't say it quite like that, but that's what she meant. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> yeah. Get it, to get her like a napkin from the lobby and <laughs> hand it to her or something. <laughs> so. You know, it's it's been a tremendous opportunity. It's been a real privilege, I think, to be able to talk to, you know, people about something that means something to, you know, to me. You know, again, looking back at baby Brian, I don't think that's ever, you know, nobody would have ever said you should find something outside of your work that you think is important and lean in on on that too. But it's been very fulfilling. If somebody wants to learn more about that organization or, or anything, um, uh, what's the best place for them to, to check it out? You can play project.org is the website. Very cool. So we talked a lot about, you know, your, your work and the, you know, and obviously the venues, uh, you know, your, your side projects and a lot of stuff going on, but, but what are you away from work? Help me a little about Brian uh, when you're, when you're not uh, at the, uh, at the office, so to speak. Probably not different than lots of people. I'm married to a doctor who I, you know, I think, especially during COVID, I got some unique perspective on, again, whether, you know, how important it was for us to be able to, you know, get together. Um, I think it also gave me a perspective that, you know, gives me a perspective on my own career. You know, when you're married to a doctor, uh, you know, you're very aware that there are people who are curing cancer and, you know, doing very, very important things. And, you know, for a while, I was kind of self-conscious about what I do. I tell my students now, and I would tell anybody who's getting into the industry that your ability to make somebody feel good for two or three hours, you know, forget their mortgage or their divorce or their screamy kids, you know, that's noble. And I think that's a great reason to do this type of work. Um, 
love being outdoors myself. Uh, love pop culture. Um, I've got family close by, no kids, no pets, can barely take care of myself in my yard. Um, but, uh, you know, love. So much yard work to do. I don't talk about it. I know. Uh, um, but also love to travel. You know, I'm a, a music geek on top of everything else. And so I love going to other people's venues and, and seeing shows just as much as I love having them come to, to Red Rocks. I do have to publicly thank you again for this. I know I brought it up to you a couple of times more recently, but I remember emailing you with a cold email and it's probably been 13 years ago ago or 14 (laughs) years ago. It was a long time ago. I was, I was basically a coordinator at Rupp Arena at the time. And my, one of my sisters who lives there was graduating and we were all kind of, the family was descending on Denver. I'd never been to Red Rocks. So of course, like everyone under the moon, I was like, I've got to see Red Rocks. I don't care if it's Sesame street live, I'm going to go rock out to big bird in the middle of Red Rocks. (laughs) And so I look at, I look at the calendar. We're only there for like three or four days and sure enough, there's shows of course, but it's the fray and they're from Denver, which I didn't know. And they were all sold out all shows. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And me and my sisters, we were going to have this like sibling night out. And I'm like, well, I'm screwed. But I was like, you know what? Let me just, do some Google searching, some nice investigatory work. And I found your email (laughs) and I'm like, I'm going to send this guy a cold email. I've never met him before, but we both work at venues. You know, what's it going to hurt? And I email you. And I think I introduced myself as a venue nerd. And I was like, (laughs) I work at an arena in Lexington. And then I remember you replied and you said, Oh, arena nerd. That's so fun. Can I be like a part of that club? And you said, and then (laughs) you managed. Yeah, exactly. And then you managed to get us uh, tickets for one of the nights, which is still one of my favorite shows I've ever been to because it's the only one I've ever gone to with both my sisters. And it was at Red Rocks. And I, and what made it even more memorable is I was a big, I still kind of follow the Denver Broncos, but I was more into them at the time. And I remember we went to that show and the Broncos had just signed Peyton Manning and he came to the show and he was like in the front row and no one really knew, but then the fray saw him and they were like, Peyton Manning is here. And they're like, (laughs) Peyton Manning, you got to take care of business. And then everyone freaked out and Peyton Manning turned around and waved. And I was like, I was having an out of body experience at this point. So you had the full Denver. I just have to thank you again. You know, from someone that, you know, you just, I don't know. It was very, very, very nice. And to someone that you didn't know and who just sent you a cold email, I really appreciated it. You know, we're all in the same, we're all in the same boat and you know, community building, whether it's, you know, making new friends or contacts, that's what we do. And, you know, there's no such thing as sold out, no matter what anybody tells you. And, you know, for friends, you can always find a way. So great kind of you. <laughs> glad to do it. <laughs> except for Taylor Swift at a yeah, bit. That's not mine. I learned that. And the that hard is way. actually sold out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, hey, before we let you go here, we want to hit you with our uh, fast five. It's five quick questions. Just looking for your uh, instant response. First up, do you remember your very first concert ever? Yes. And it was. Do I have to tell you? <laughs> yeah. Shalimar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. You were you were dancing in the sheets with Shalimar. I was. <laughs> I was really little. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how about a favorite concert? You know, I probably have already mentioned it. 
I was stunned by uh, Diana Ross and Dolly Parton. I'm going to lump them together. Diana Ross played Red Rocks 50 years to the week since the first time she played there. Oh, wow. And I think to see somebody uh, who's the age of Diana Ross or Dolly Parton get out there and still hoof it the way they do and, you know, still sound great is, you know, there are days when I get out of bed and my knees hurt and I'm, you know, not even close to that age. I don't know how they do it. (laughs) It's stunning to me. Uh, you know, we talked about how Red Rocks is on everybody's bucket list, but what's your what's your bucket list venue you haven't been to yet? Oh, man, I have not been to the Gorge. I have not been to the Hollywood Bowl or the Greek. Believe it or not, after all this time, I finally made it to Nashville for the first time last year. And that oh, was yeah. a semi-religious experience. You get to so, do the Ryman? Go yep. to the Ryman. Yeah, yeah, that's a, spe- that's a special place. Yep. Uh, all right. Uh, somebody comes to Denver. They have they can go out for one meal. What's the one meal you got to go experience in Denver? I don't know that we'll be able to do this for EVMC. Casa Bonita just opened here. Yes. And from I'm the so guys, glad you brought Casa Bonita up. <laughs> from the guys uh, who Trey and Matt, the guys behind South Park, it's kind of one of those iconic venues that had terrible food. I haven't been to the newly opened one from a pure, um, you know, shtick standpoint. I guess I would point to that one. Denver's a great restaurant (laughs) town though. And, you know, they're, when people are ready to come here, I'm happy to recommend lots of good restaurants, not just the the one that everybody's talking about right now. (laughs) Uh, Last question. uh, What is your theme song? So there's a TV show where cameras follow you all around uh, in your life there, uh, the life of Brian, if you will. Uh, what is the theme song that plays over the opening credits to the Brian show? God, just because she's top of mind, all I can think of is Diana Ross and Love Hangover. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, That's the one I'm going to wish I could take back, but here we are. So. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Here we are. What do you want to plug? Uh, give us if people want to follow uh, Red Rocks or any of your venues there in Denver uh, or reach out to you. Uh, uh, throw out all the uh, the plugs there. Uh, my email is a, is a mouthful. It's brian.kits at denvergov.org, but always happy to, always happy to hear from people. Cold emails are welcome. Um, (laughs) you know, all of our Red Rocks socials are easy to find. They're pretty. It's not just show stuff. We get lots of pictures of animals and, you know, deer and snakes and stuff. And I think that's kind of cool. And, you know, I will plug early and often register for, you know, for next, next summer, it's going to be, it's, it's an easy place to get to and, you know, rain or shine, I think whatever night we end up at Red Rocks is going to be, is going to be fun. Um, And, you know, great community experience with the EVMC crowd. Brian, thank you so much for the time today. Can't wait to see you here in person. We're heading out soon for planning meetings. And then, of course, with the conference uh, this summer, you can find Paul. Give a plug where people can, uh, if they want to attend the conference, what's the website? Where should they visit so they can uh, find out how they can be part of our uh, event venue marketing conference for 2024? Absolutely. It's eventvenuemarketing.com. And so you'll find all the details on there, registration links, costs, hotel, 
all the good stuff. And yeah, we look forward to seeing people out there. I think it's going to be a really exciting year. We're coming off of a record year in Seattle and uh, going to an amazing market like Denver with some of these iconic venues we talked about just on this interview. So we'll see everyone there. Brian, thanks again for the time today. It was great getting to, I know you a little bit better. Yep. You're welcome. Glad to do it. And we'll see you guys in about six weeks. Uh, and a big thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We do love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Ruttleberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Venue Marketing Conference, a marketing conference that brings together diversified event and venue professionals to cultivate education, collaboration, and innovation for the growing sports and live entertainment industry. Find out more at eventvenuemarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Ruttleberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.